This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha, and this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey, girl, hey. What is up? <laughs> well, it's been a rough week. It has it's been, been a rough, rough week. week. Work was stupid because COVID cases are so way up right now. Like, it was exhausting. They are. I mean, they everybody knew they were going to rise with the holidays, which it's fine. Like, I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about it's so exhausting at my work because we're literally trying to test, like, hundreds of people a day. And uh, yeah. We just can't do it. It's insane. I I give props to all of the medical staff, period. Everyone wants to sit back and, and throw awful shade at them, but they put up with the most bullshit for sure. It's been a rough week. And then it got rougher because I got sad news about my pupper that I don't really want to talk about, but he'll be okay. He'll be okay. It's just going to be rough for a little bit. So anything good going on with you? Should we try to be like, okay, it's New Year's Eve today as we record. So it is New Year's Eve today. We need to try to think of something positive to go into the new year with, right? Should we do that? Um, yeah. What, what, what's your positive thought that you're going to do? Um, what your <laughs> bullshit, no drinking for a month. Well, it's not, so it's not positive and it's not just no drinking. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, ew. <laughs> me, me and me and our brother, Michael are doing whole 30 for the month of January. So it's not just no alcohol. It's no alcohol, no dairy, no cheese no sugar no carbs <clears throat> basically I can eat meat and vegetables and I'm gonna be a real treat to be around yeah but I don't I, understand why you guys agree to do things like that to yourselves when I told my husband about it he was like what why are you punishing us so I'm like what are you talking about you guys don't have to do it it's just me and he's like no you're punishing us you expect us to be around you when you have no alcohol and no coffee because you don't drink black coffee you have your creamer in it and I do love my creamer but I'm gonna there have is to. there is dairy-free creamer. I saw that. I saw that. So that's my New Year's thing that I'm doing. And we'll see how long that lasts, but whatever. Um, any good positive thoughts for you going into the new year? Um, I I'm actually going not that it's a big thing or anything, but we're going to try the whole um we wrote down specific amounts, like random amounts of money on envelopes. Oh yeah, yeah, I've um, seen that. That's not a bad idea. I should absolutely do that too. We're actually starting it tomorrow, and okay. it's going to be. Uh, you put it in, like you put money in every week, not every right. day, but every week you put a certain amount, and it's just random. Like we we wrote random numbers on envelopes. This is to go into our savings for, and it's just like whatever random thing we want to do. If we want to do a random trip or something like that, then like this money would be used for the random trip. Cool. You know, our goal is to have each week put money into it. And by the end of the year, have um, roughly 5,000 at least. That'd be, that'd be nice. That's a good plan. We just hope to stick to it. 
Yeah, <laughs> stick to it. Stick to it. You just gotta pay them once a week. It's not every day. So no, easy, no. Right? And and last year we did not like this 2021, but 2020 we did like the five dollar thing mm-hmm. where you don't spend your five dollar bills and you keep them all. But the problem mm-hmm. is I never have cash on me, so it didn't go well. <laughs> oh yeah, that wouldn't work if you don't have cash. No, so this is an incentive to go and actually pull cash out every week. Right. And um put it in our you know, I like to box. have a little bit of cash on me at all times. We honestly all should have a little bit of cash on us sometimes because there's going to be those times where you're stuck in the middle of nowhere right? and maybe your card doesn't work or they don't take cards or something. Yeah. I, I feel like days. this is the weirdest Intro? longest entrance. Yeah. It is. <laughs> let's just, let's start. Okay. It's your week. <laughs> okay. It's my turn. It's my turn. So um, I'm super excited because this week my case is a request that we got from a listener, listener request. Mm-hmm. Before mm-hmm. I even got to see it. I know that's what I was going to say. So we got this super sweet message from a listener that totally made my day. And they requested this case because it's actually like a hometown case for them. Mm-hmm. And then when we got the message, I just happened to see it first. I think you were like cooking dinner or something. Yeah, I wasn't even around my phone. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I pick up my phone like Because I texted later. you. I, I immediately sent you a dibs text. Yes, she did. It, <laughs> and it was in all caps. I call it. You were like, you were not amused, but I like, like, I call what? And then I go and look and see that we got an email and <laughs> I'm reading it all. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So like, but I call dibs. So like, that's here we are. That's how it works. So. Well, I at least know what the case is. You do so. know what the case is because you saw the message. So this week I'm talking about the kidnapping and murder of Polly Class. Now, while researching this one, it was especially rough and depressing for me to research because it's about a 12-year-old girl. And as of last week, I now have a 12-year-old daughter. And so I couldn't help but like just think of her the whole time that I'm, yeah. That that actually happens a lot in some of these cases that have kids. It just makes me, it's, it's awful to think the worst, but I know what you mean because as a mother, you just can't help but put your own kids into those situations. I know. It's always like it's always heavy covering all the cases that we do, but so much more for me for the children cases and especially yes. when it's so relatable. There was one that I heard, this case that the case that I've heard that hit me the hardest. I heard, I think it was a morbid episode that did it. And like I seriously just like bawled in the car the entire time because it was about this little girl named Maddie Clifton and she was like, I think eight-ish when she got murdered. And at that same time, when I was listening to it, Danielle was that that same age. Mm-hmm. And they were so similar the way she described them, like just like a headstrong tomboy. I was like, oh, I could not. So I'm just gonna go ahead and get into it, I guess. Okay. So let's do it. Let's get all depressed. Let's do this. Because this hasn't been a depressing enough week. <laughs> All right, so in Petaluma, California, on Friday, October 1st, 1993, three junior high girls were super excited to be having a sleepover. So 12-year-old Polly Class hosted the sleepover at her house with her two friends, Jillian and Kate, who were also 12. I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to like say their last names or anything, because I don't think that's necessary. Like, they've been through enough. So we're just going to call them Jillian and Kate. So they're at Polly's house. They're hanging out. They're having a great early 90s sleepover they're like playing nintendo yes playing nintendo playing board games listening to music 
they were like trying on different costumes because it was going to be Halloween that month. So they're trying to figure out what they're going to be for Halloween. And they're just like hanging out and chilling, having a good time. At around 9.45 that night, Polly's mother, Eve, came in and asked them to try to keep the noise level down. So she had a history of migraines and she happened to be having a pretty bad migraine that night. So she told him, she's like, oh, can you just like keep it down a little bit? I'm going to turn in for the night. So she took her prescription migraine medicine that she had and she went to her room to try and get some rest. Now, anyone that has ever been around 12-year-olds knows that if they're together, they're most definitely going to get loud and rambunctious, especially if they're having a sleepover. And anyone that suffers from migraines knows that that is not going to help a migraine. I don't have migraines, but I know you have a history of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not a good time. It's, it's not a good time. So I've heard. It's like everybody in our family, except for me, basically, you, mom, both of our brothers have always had these migraines like forever. Dad doesn't have them either. Right. It's just me and dad. Yeah. But, but they're like weird. Um, Cause you have, we have like stroke, like symptoms. Like seriously, so. y'all do. You're like, go no, like numb on one side. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, can't move. Can't talk. Can't like think straight. Can't do anything. It's awful. Yeah. It's not yeah. fun. Not a good time. So Eve has a history of migraines. Like she has this prescription medicine for it. So she takes her medicine. She goes to her bedroom, which was directly across the hall from Polly's. And she's like, okay, like I agreed to have these girls over. I know they're going to be all Cindy Lopper about it and just want to have fun. So I'm going to try to nip this migraine in the bud and take my na- my meds and go lay in a dark room and hope it subsides pretty quickly. There was no way that she could have prepared for what was going to happen. Not even an hour later, which is even more awful because you just doped up <laughs> you didn't dope up like right oh, no, I, was, I was like oh bad. <laughs> yeah but no I mean she... you literally just took medicine like medication that is supposed to be almost like a pain reliever right right so For a sure. lot of and especially strong migraine medicine it's it's not like popping ibuprofen <laughs> right usually it can knock you out yeah see I I don't have migraines at all but I feel like if I did and it was just me watching my kid and a, a couple kids, they were having like sleepover. I wouldn't take it. I don't think I would take it, which I'm not blaming her or anything. No, no, but I don't I mean, think I would take it. Way. I think what I would actually do is be like, Hey, let's call your parents and reschedule. Cause I literally cannot. <laughs> I would either do that or it would be a, thank God I'm married and have a husband because right. So you're she... going to be right here. Um, her and Polly's father were actually like separated, not together at the time. So it was right. just her at the house with the girls. So at around 1030, an intruder would enter Polly's room holding a knife. At first, Kate and Jillian thought it was like some kind of joke. Like maybe this was like an uncle or somebody that Polly knew that was just messing with them. Why would that be a joke? <laughs> right. Well, they didn't see the knife at first. They just saw this oh, man okay. walking in and they're like, oh, they must, she must know him. Like he's walking in a room. But then they see the knife and they see how freaked out Polly is. Like she's clearly just not recognize this person. And so they're like, oh shit, this is real. The man told them if they screamed, he would slit their throats. He then cut the strap for one of the girl's purses, a pair of ballet leggings, and the cords from the Nintendo controllers to tie the girls up. He asked the girls whose house it was and who else was in the house. So Polly spoke up and told him that it was hers. She told him it was just them and her mother in the house. The man then told them that he wasn't going to hurt anyone. He was just looking for money. So Polly was like, okay, cool. There's some cash hidden in this jewelry box. Like this is where the jewelry box is. There's cash in there. But he just like ignored her. He wasn't even trying to actually find cash. 
he just continued to bind the terrified girls. He then gagged them and took pillowcases off the pillows in Polly's room and used them as hoods to cover the girls' heads. He forced Polly to get up and told Kate and Jillian to count to a thousand. And by the time they were done counting, that Polly would be back and this would all be over. He then took Polly class and disappeared into the night. Kate and Jillian somehow managed to free themselves. They ran across the hall, woke Eve, and told her what happened. And Eve immediately called the police, and they responded to the house within minutes. So Petaluma police knew they needed to act fast. They knew that when it comes to missing children, the first 24 to 48 hours are crucial to finding the missing child alive. Right. So they called the FBI for help. They're like, hey, we've got this missing kid. Like, we need to get on it. And investigators quickly went to work. So first, they ruled out the family members. When it comes to kidnapping cases, family members are the most commonly, like most commonly, they're the culprits. And it's usually the separated. Right. It's usually one of the Mm -hmm. the parents. Yes. So they looked into Polly's father. I kind of figured they would immediately have looked into him because they're separated. Right. So they immediately looked into him, but he was like quickly cleared. They're like, no, we need to keep looking. Him and Eve had separated and were not living together at the time of kidnapping, but it was obvious that he had nothing to do with this at all. Right. He was clearly legitimately concerned with finding his daughter and getting her home safely. So after ruling out all the family members, investigators realized finding Polly would not be easy. They're like, okay, this is a stranger. And stranger abductions are much harder to solve for several reasons. With stranger abductions, there's no clear motive, which is super terrifying when you think about it. Like They just like walk into just your like house and just unhinged. decide this is the right. one that I want to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also strangers have no connections to the victim or the family, making it super difficult to tie them to the crime. Again, another, mm-hmm. just walk into the house and just right. decide this is the one I'm going to take. So the one thing they did have that is hardly ever the case in stranger abductions was not just one, but two eyewitnesses. So they did have Kate and Jillian who had like seen the man for everything that has just happened to these young girls like being held at knife point, being bound and gagged and blindfolded while their friend was dragged away, also at knife point by a strange man. The girls were able to sit with an FBI sketch artist and describe a pretty damn accurate composite sketch of the man that had abducted their friend. Police put out an APB over Sonoma County Sheriff's Channel 1 with the suspect's description within 30 minutes of the kidnapping. So pretty quickly. Like, I don't understand how these girls were able to describe somebody. Like, with everything that happened, I don't know... I mean, trauma hits people in all kinds of ways. I feel like it'd be, that's why it's so crucial for them to. Because it's so fresh in their minds. It's so fresh. You just saw it happen. So can you describe who you saw? Like, right. Characteristics, anything. Right. So props to that sheriff's, like for For being so prompt. For being so prompt. Like within 30 minutes of the kidnapping, they put out APB with his description. Yeah. You know, we always see those cases where kids are reported missing and the police are like, oh, they could be running away. 24 hours later, then you see Yes, yes. So they were like on it. They were serious about it. They were on it. It does suck for larger areas. And with this being a smaller area. Right. I'm glad that they were prompt about it. Within hours of the kidnapping, about 20 miles north of Petaluma, Shannon Lynch was on her way home from her babysitting job. As she was pulling out of her employer, Dana Jaffe's super long driveway, she noticed an unfamiliar vehicle stuck in the ditch on Dana's property. So she's got this big ass long winding driveway. She's leaving, headed home, and there's like some car stuck in a ditch on on her boss's property. Then a man that she later described as a crazy man approached her car, 
and tried to get her to get out of her car to help him. And yeah, she, no. Yeah, she she was like hell to the all, and she drove <laughs> off. <laughs> Good for her. I would have been the same way. I would have. I would have looked at him and been like, yeah, hard pass. That's gonna be a hard pass. Thank you. Once she got down the road, she stopped to call Dana, her boss, to let her know. She's like, hey, hey there's, there's a creepy ass man on you your property. Probably call nine one one because dude might be headed to your house. Right, right. So she well, good Dana. for her for also calling. I know, not just going home and being like, not my problem. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would probably have been me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't have been that bad, but I would have been like, I probably wouldn't have thought about it until I probably so, got home. Right. Until you got home. No, she thought about it quickly. She was like, I got to get somewhere and I'm going to call her. So she I would calls- have been driving, just be bopping around. Oh, glad I passed that guy. Like listening <laughs> to hit me baby one more time. <laughs> some shit like that. And then uh, I pull up to the house and I'm like, Oh shit, I probably should have <laughs> shit. <laughs> That's my bad, y'all. So <laughs> then you're sitting here trying to call her and panicking and they don't answer and you're like, oh I fucked up. Okay. <laughs> so she calls Dana and Dana was like, hell's the all. And she grabbed up her young daughter and a baseball bat and she noped the hell out of there. She was like, we're not we're not staying here so on the way out of her long ass driveway she passed the vehicle and the owner of the vehicle a man named richard allen david so she drove to a nearby gas station where she called police and was like could you please come and get this shady ass guy off my property (laughs) (laughs) so two deputies were dispatched to the property now unfortunately these two deputies didn't know anything about the kidnapping or the description of the suspect because they were on the sonoma county sheriff's channel three Oh and the God. APB was on channel one. So they're all like, oh, you're stuck with your daughter. <laughs> well, so. So I just guessed it. <laughs> well, no, because there's no girl with him. So. Uh, I didn't guess that. You didn't guess it. I just got real sad. <laughs> I know. It's, it's awful. So had they known about the description and the kidnapping and all that, they may have linked Davis to the kidnapping because he looked seriously just like the description that the girls gave. But they didn't know. So they didn't link him. So they get to the property and they find Davis out of breath, sweating with dirt all over him and twigs in his hair, like just a hot ass mess. Like <laughs> and twigs in his hair. Twigs in his all, hair. Uh, all I He's can just think like of, panting. All I can think of is like, oh, what was that? What was that movie without a paddle? I you know barely, I barely remember that movie. <laughs> when they're going and looking for a uh, lost treasure or whatever, and they're like hiking and yeah i don't know anyways he's he's out there he's panting he's out of breath he's just a fucking mess and he's like nothing to see here it's cool so he was like yeah i was just out here sightseeing and my car like swerved off the road and i got stuck in this ditch and i was trying to dig myself out and they're like you were out here sightseeing at midnight (laughs) right (laughs) they're like sure that checks out yeah so they called a tow truck (laughs) they called a tow truck they're like, we got you. We'll get you out. So while they're waiting on the tow truck, they noticed that Davis seemed super disheveled and he was like all gross and junk. And they're like, sir, have you been drinking? And he was like, no, of course not. And then he opened a beer in front of them and started drinking it. Oh my God. Yeah. They were like, bruh, what the hell? You <laughs> you can't drink like that in public and in front of us. Like you got to pour that shit I out. haven't been drinking. <laughs> But I'm real thirsty. <laughs> right, right. They're like, you have to pour that out. And so he did. 
they're like, okay, so we're just going to like search your car a little bit, see what's going on, see how many beers are opened in your car. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, I don't believe you were sightseeing at all. <laughs> so they searched the car. They found no signs of anyone else or anything like that. And there was open containers, but since he wasn't driving when they got to the scene, because he was like already stuck in a ditch. How does that work? Right. Well, they couldn't get him on like a DUI or anything like that. And in that area, the open container thing wasn't an issue, I guess. Everything was like, oh, that's just not like a major cry, like a major thing that you can bring them in for. And I'm like, oh. They're I just mean, like, you have to pour it out. Let me introduce him to a small Southeast Kansas town. <laughs> <laughs> so the deputies went over to Dana. You know, it's her property. And they're like, so if you want, you can place him under citizen's arrest for trespassing, and then we'll be able to take him in. Like, there's nothing that we can bring him in for, but if you want to, like, push but this. Is, but there is something you can bring him in for. <laughs> A breathalyzer, bitch. Right. It's so, 1990. <laughs> they still have them then. So, uh, no, I think they did do a breathalyzer, and I think he passed. Like, he was under the oh, limit, okay. and he passed okay. it. Okay. So. I was like, the fuck? <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's a lot of different things you could do. There's so many things you could do, I feel like. So she was like, okay, so how does that work? And they're like, well, you would just have to like walk up to him and tell him you're placing him under citizen's arrest for trespassing. And then we would cuff him and take him in. And she's like, so you want me to walk up to this crazed drunk man and fake arrest him, except not really fake arrest him because he'll actually go to jail, but then he'll probably get out pretty quickly. And he knows where I live because he's like on my property right now. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, hard pass again. <laughs> right. Hard pass. So they ran his license and his plates, but with the equipment that those deputies had on them, they were only able to run like a driving record, not a criminal record. So no warrants or other flags came up. He didn't have any like bad driving record thing. So they had no choice but to let him go. So when the tow truck came, they were like, toodaloo. I mean, they had a choice. <laughs> you always have a choice <laughs> they, had, they had a choice they could have thrown him in the drunk tank I mean because honestly even if you passed a breathalyzer they could have done a field sobriety test as well I, right I don't think he would have passed that shit no he wouldn't have they could have easily said that he didn't pass when he did pass too and they could have thrown him in the drunk tank for 24 hours they were just like this guy's gross and I don't want to deal with him, I think. <laughs> clearly, they, <laughs> clearly they were like, no, nah, I just don't feel like doing the paperwork. It's so much paperwork. And just that comes to this. It's not like he's going to be driving because the tow truck's going to come. So. Correct. Which, again, I get it. They, you got to, it's a call. It, it really is. It's your call when it comes to stuff like that. Oh, he passed a breathalyzer. He's not a danger. Um, I mean, he doesn't have a vehicle now. He's going to have to go get it out of the tow. Right. Right. So he's going to pay more money to pull it out of the toe <laughs> than it is yeah. to freaking keep him. So uh, we'll let him go. Do you got a ride? Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Well, we'll see him. So I get it. I do. But at the same time, when you're thinking about the fact that who he is and what's going on mm -hmm. and they didn't know that they could have. It's frustrating. Him. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> frustrating. I mean, there's plenty of times where people get kept over absolutely nothing that shouldn't be kept oh, yeah. and then there's plenty of times when people like this that just get let go when they absolutely should have been kept so meanwhile the fbi forensics team was collecting anything and everything searching for any clues that may lead them to the kidnapper and polly 
and hear Joe Blow <laughs> and Joe Blow Jr. are like, oh, you can go, bruh. It's cool. <laughs> Have a good night. Have a good night. The police department had already dusted the house for fingerprints and came up with pretty much nothing. But the FBI had more like high-tech equipment. So they used a new method at the time, like a new method of fingerprinting that involved a fancy powder, UV lights, and amber-colored goggles, and they were able to uncover four dozen fingerprints that the police weren't able to see. All these fingerprints turned out to be family and friends' fingerprints. There was nothing... Oh, that sucks, too. Yeah. So after hours of searching, they finally got something. They found a palm print on a crossbar on the bed in Polly's room. So it appeared... It appeared to belong to the kidnapper and it looked like he had like leaned on the bed to, to support himself. Like maybe he was reaching down to pick something up and he right. le- leaned on the bed or whatever. So at the time, the FBI database didn't contain palm prints, only fingerprints. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing they could really do with the palm print until they caught the suspect and then didn't be able to like compare it to their palm yeah. print. They also found tiny fibers that appeared to have come from the carpet material in a car. And they were able to rule it out as a match to all the vehicles at Polly's house and all those of like Jillian and Kate's family vehicles. So like, okay, this most likely came from the kidnapper's vehicle. But again, this was a thing that they couldn't match the evidence without first Not, finding the suspect. And that's still today. You mm-hmm. can't match fibers to things right. without having something Something else. to compare it to, right. Mm-hmm. They also found a single brown hair that didn't match anyone in the house that looked like it had been forcibly removed because it still had skin particles on it. Ugh. But just like the rest of the evidence collected, it was useless without a suspect to test it against. So they had unearthed some solid evidence, but it wasn't enough to do anything with until they had something to compare with. So that was all super frustrating for everybody. Meanwhile, a town-wide search began for Polly. Police went door-to-door to every house and searched every inch of the neighborhood. They brought in helicopters. They had canines searching. They were like on it. They went to Polly's school and questioned teachers and classmates in hopes that someone would have some kind of useful information. But again, it was like a random stranger abduction. So there was like nothing to go on. Investigators began canvassing the neighborhood in pairs, asking anyone and everyone if they had seen anything at all that night. Several people in the neighborhood recalled seeing a stranger in the neighborhood that night that fit the description that was given by Jillian and Kate. One boy even said that while he and some friends were on their way to the video store that night, like they're walking down the road because it was just right right down the road. Good old video store. I know. I miss Blockbuster so much. I know. It was always a treat to go to Blockbuster on like Friday. And it was also always so disappointing when you'd go like, oh, I want to get this movie and go there. And it was all gone. So frustrating, but so good. Anyways, they're walking to the video store. He said that he saw a man lurking in the shadows in front of Polly's house. And he said that when they were headed back home and when they were headed back home and past Polly's house again, he noticed the stranger was still there. Like how fucking creepy is that? Can you imagine a stranger just like lurking outside of your house? The boy gave investigators a description of the stranger and it matched the description that was given by the girls. So like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Polly's neighbor, Sean Bush, lived directly behind Polly's house. So their backyards like went together. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You couldn't see my hands. I get what you're saying. (laughs) You couldn't see my hands. I was like, their backyards backed up to each other. Um, He was at home that night playing video games with some friends. And around 1030, Sean happened to look out the window and notice a strange man standing on Polly's back porch. He appeared to be going for the back door when Sean noticed him. So his description of the man also fit the description of the suspect. And then there were several other sightings of the suspicious strange man. But unfortunately, nobody that saw him like 
Call the cops. Call the cops. Alert authorities anyway. The, now I I feel like they probably wouldn't have thought any. They, it could have been. Oh, right. well, they, this guy is. They probably know this guy. He's probably just outside. Right. Know? Right. Like you don't call the police every time you see some strange person that you don't know. <laughs> like no. And then it hits them after something bad happens. Right. Right. They're like, oh, I could have done something. So investigators were getting worried that they were running out of time to find Polly because again, like I said, it's usually not good news if children aren't found in the first 24 or anybody missing is not found in the first 24 to 48 hours. After eliminating family members and friends as suspects, they began focusing on ex-cons that were registered as sexual offenders in the area. And gradually they expanded the search to surrounding counties. But again, after doing all this, they were still coming up with nothing. So the search for polyclass became the largest manhunt in the nation at that time. Hundreds of citizens searched for her, like people passed out flyers. Everybody in the country was looking for her. 48 hours after Polly was abducted, her father got a phone call from a girl that sounded like Polly. She told him that she was in a hotel and the kidnapper had stepped out of the room. Before he could get any kind of information that could lead him to her, the phone went dead. (sighs) So that phone call gave everyone the first glimpse of hope that they had since this whole nightmare began. Like, that's the first sign, like, oh my God, like, she's still out there. Unfortunately, Mark's phone hadn't been set up for a trace because they just didn't think of it at the time. So all they could do was wait and hope for another call. Eventually, a second call came from a girl that sounded like Polly. Like the first call, this one didn't last very long, but it was long enough for investigators to trace the call. So the FBI like got on it. They traced the call to a house that was 30 miles away. And a few agents like went straight to the location. Like as soon as they're like, oh, we got it. They like headed out the door, drove straight there. They're like, we got to get there before she's moved, before anything happens. So they get to the house, they raided the house and they quickly realized that something wasn't right. The house was filled with what appeared to be like a normal seeming family. Like it was just a house with a family. There was no sign of Polly or her abductor anywhere. When they like, sat down with everybody in the house they sat down with one of the girls in the house she confessed to making the phone calls and impersonating polly so it turned out yeah her friends had dared her to impersonate polly to make these what is wrong with people Uh uh-huh exactly so the small glimpse of hope that they had that polly was still alive just turned out to be like this cruel prank from some dumbass inconsiderate kids so in mid-october jillian and kate were brought back in to give a second description to a different composite sketch artist this artist had been well known for being able to like relax witnesses enough to get super accurate descriptions so since a few weeks had passed the girls were much calmer this go-round and they were able to give a similar yet more precise description than before so new flyers went up everywhere with the new sketch a reward was offered up for polly's return and authorities received a call demanding ten thousand dollar ransom so they were like, hail to the naw, and they traced the call. And then a SWAT team raided the apartment that the call came from. <laughs> so it turned out to be another false lead, obviously. What is wrong? Again, what is wrong with people? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because Like this happens more often than people realize. Like, Right. We say it. Stop I've being said it. fucking stupid. You're wasting freaking resources and time. Mm-hmm. And I hope you feel like goddamn garbage every single time that it ends up with a a victim that it turns up dead because right. you guys are fucking idiots yep if you don't know anything then don't say anything <sighs> it's not a funny prank it's not going to get your reward all it does is waste time it's and resources cute. It's, it's not, not cute. cute it's not cute 
So 20-year-old James Hurd had made the call demanding the ransom and was arrested for attempted extortion and posing as a kidnapper, which I did did not know was a charge, but cool. I'm glad it is. (laughs) (laughs) Little bitch-ass bitch. Little bitch-ass bitch. So where am I at? I lost my place. (laughs) There was like a big, long rant that I typed out because I also got angry (laughs) about (laughs) the, the same thing that you were just talking about. Okay, a letter from even Mike to the kidnapper was published in the San Francisco Examiner on October 17th. Correction, his name's Mark, not Mike. And it was just gut-wrenching to read. Like, it's so freaking sad. So they wrote, quote, whoever you are, wherever you are, please return Polly to her family. She belongs here. We miss Polly so much. We miss the twinkle in her eyes and her sweet humor. We long to see her beautiful smile and hear her musical voice. They also addressed Polly in the letter saying our darling if you can read this please know that your mommy and daddy love you so much and we will continue to search for you until we can hold you in our loving arms again like fucking ruin me so sad (laughs) fucking ruin me fucking ruin me the search for Polly continued on police and task forces worked tirelessly day and night rain or shine they had a 24-hour operation going like the navy even joined the search everybody thousands of people across the country everyone's looking for Polly people held candlelight vigils in her honor and wore lavender ribbons for Polly because that was her favorite color so nearly two months after the kidnapping there was finally a break in the case on October 28th 1993 they received a call from Dana Jaffe remember her Mm -hmm. Dana had been out checking her property because she'd just gotten a bunch of trees cleared and she was out there checking the progress She led deputies to the clearing where she found a few suspicious items scattered around. So she knew all about Polly's case. And when she initially saw the items, she had a feeling that they may somehow be tied to her. So in the clearing, there was a cut piece of silk cloth that looked like it had been fashioned into a hood. There was a couple of strips of packing tape, a pair of young girls' tights that had been tied into a knot, and what seemed to be human hair tangled into the knot. She told deputies about that night a couple months ago when her babysitter noticed a trespasser mm-hmm. and she called it in and she called it in she's so like she, she literally has all of that mm-hmm. right she's like you can check on it this happened it was a couple months ago it was I think it was around that time it happened to be the same night she didn't know that yeah but um she's like this happened and it happened pretty close to this area where all these items are so you should probably look into that so the deputy called the Petaluma police department who arrived on the scene pretty quickly After the evidence was collected, they began searching all of the nearby roadsides for any signs of Polly. Authorities got with the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department, which was the area that Dana's house was in. Right. So they could get the full report from the night that Dana called that in. And they learned that the man was named Richard Allen Davis. They also learned that he had recently been paroled for an eight-year sentence for kidnapping. Hmm. Imagine that. In 1976, he had been arrested for robbery, kidnapping, and assault with the intent to commit rape. In 1978, he had been arrested for another kidnapping and a few counts of assault with a deadly weapon. In 1984, he was arrested for kidnapping, assault with a deadly weapon, and armed robbery. So, like, clearly this dude is, like, bad news bears. Like, he's not a good guy. They looked into him a little more and realized that his mother lived in Petaluma, giving him a reason to be in the area of Holly's house. They also realized that his mugshot matched Kate and Jillian's description of Polly's abductor. Oh my God. 
So they literally fucking had him that same night. I bet they were super pissed at those. I'm sure they were. I cannot even imagine. So after sending the items found on Dana's property to forensic investigators, they matched some cut fabric found in Polly's room, denied the abduction to the cut fabric that they had found on the property. Like not only was it the same kind of fabric, the cuts and tears and the fabric tangibles like lined up perfectly like a puzzle. Like it was clearly the same thing. So investigators were like, okay, it appears Polly was on Dana's property after her abduction. And we know for a fact that Davis was on her property, but we don't have enough evidence to make an arrest on him. Like that's all we have. Also, if Polly was on the property, where is she now? Exactly. Right. And he did did not have her in the vehicle because they searched it. Where did he put her? So they're like, this is super frustrating, but we feel like if we're able to bring him in and question him, We can probably get some details or maybe even a confession out of him. How are we going to get him in here? Well, it turned out Davis had some outstanding warrants for breaking parole and DUI. So like, cool, cool, cool. Easy peasy. You mean mean the same thing that he could have already been in for? (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) So they went to his residence to take him in, but he wasn't home. So they're like, well, shit, now what? They start setting up perimeters around the area. And while they're setting up perimeters, a deputy stopped a vehicle check the license and realize that he's like, oh God, this is Richard Allen Davis. Like, this is the guy. So he was like, don't, don't be obvious. Don't be, don't be suspicious. Don't right. Be suspicious. It was literally like he saw the license and then his eyes got all big. And then he sang that in his head. No. So the deputy was calm. He calmly called it in so that he didn't spook Davis. He was like, we got him. We got him guys. So backup arrives. He's like walking back to his car. And he's like, yeah, got him. <laughs> backup arrived and they approached the van and they asked him to step out and then proceeded to arrest him for violating his parole it was like a super low-key event but also like a major event in this case that like everybody had been looking for something to happen for like two months so davis was then put in the lineup and kate and jillian were brought in and even though it had been two months since the abduction the girls both immediately id davis they began questioning davis about the kidnapping and he acted like he had no idea what they were talking about and denied any involvement and they're like okay well if you want to tell us anything at all the door's open like you can you can tell us whatever also we have all the physical evidence that we need to make this case against you so like really if you want to talk about it just let us know okay so (laughs) we you don't have to talk about it but you're going to prison (laughs) right so you should probably talk about a little bit so davis didn't really respond to that so they're like cool see you soon Okay. So meanwhile, the forensic team was comparing his palm print, all, the, stuff. all yeah. the things, his palm print. They determined that that was a complete match. So they could absolutely prove that he was in her bedroom. They were also able to link the carpet found in Polly's room to his vehicle. So they're like, got him. This is it. Gotcha. So this news got out and everyone knew police had the man responsible for Polly's kidnapping. Davis didn't know this himself because he was in isolation like he didn't know that they knew it was him he didn't know all the evidence they had but it's like all over tv so everybody else knows then he gets a visit from a friend and the friend's like bruh they know it was you like <laughs> you, you should tell them where the missing girl is if you want to like lessen your sentence or something because they they got you and davis was like i don't even know what you're talking about like no and so you do <laughs> right, right and so was like dude it's all over the news they matched your palm print to a palm print found the missing girls room like everyone in the country knows it was you the jig is up like talk so davis seems shocked to hear this 
after realizing it was going to be Where impossible to explain why his palm print was in her bedroom, he's like, okay, the jig is up. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it was all, it was all Wayne Brady about it. And he's like, let's make a deal. So he calls them up. They set up a meeting and he told them all of the details of the night of October 1st. All of, all of the details are pretty much vomitous. Like he's like a gross thing. So he told investigators that he was living in a halfway house at the time, but he had gotten a night pass to visit his mother in Petaluma. He told them he couldn't find his mother's house. So instead of really looking for it, he decided he would just have a few beers instead and just like wandered around aimlessly. He told investigators that he got really buzzed and he wasn't sure where he was or what he was doing. Now this doesn't super add up because he had come to the neighborhood with a bag packed with tape and bindings. Like he had that with him. Yeah, that's so that doesn't make sense. No. Um, the bindings in the bag had been cut with scissors, clearly leading to intent. Like it wasn't like he'd ripped them quickly in the moment. Like he'd cut right. the pre-cut them with scissors. So he then said that he randomly picked a house and crawled into an open window. He said he may have picked up a knife in the kitchen, but he didn't remember anything about it. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Right. So he says the next thing he knew, he was driving in his car and then he looked over and was surprised to see a young girl sitting in the passenger seat. He said that she was complaining that her hands were tingling and going numb. So he loosened the bindings that were around her wrists and he kept driving, wondering what he would, what he had done and what he should do next. That's when he drove off the road and got the car stuck on Dana's property. He told them when he realized the car was like stuck, stuck, he got Polly out and he carried her up an embankment about 30 yards away because that would be super suspicious. He had like a tied up girl in his car and somebody came by mm -hmm. to help. He told them that he planned to leave her there until he could figure out how to get the car out. And then the rest of his story that he told him actually matched up with all the witness accounts from that night. After getting pulled out, Davis said he drove off. Like, so his truck didn't even get pulled, like towed. The tow truck just came and pulled him out. Oh, that's not right. Right. They just, <laughs> they just came and pulled him out. Cause he was just, so, he was just a guy stuck on the side of the road. He just needed some help. So tow, tow truck pulls him out. He drives off, waits 15 to 20 minutes and then goes back to get Polly because he's like, oh, they should be gone by now. After getting Polly back in the car, Davis said he drove around for a while until he realized he would have to get rid of her. So he told investigators that he had strangled Polly to death and then buried her body in a shallow grave right off of Highway 101. And then um, he led investigators right to her body. Oh, no. Yeah. Like a literal piece of shit. I mean, but, I knew that she didn't make right. it, but. Right. And that she was oh. just having a sleepover with her friends. She was like in the safety of her own home. Oh, my God. That's fucking terrifying. Right? Also, my kid is that age and he's got a, a friend over right now. Bitch, shut all your windows, lock all your doors. <laughs> I mean, I do that every night. I know. <laughs> I, I'm a freak about it. You already know. Yes. I like, literally, I'm like your husband and we go back and we relock them five like, times before we go You'll have like major OCD about that kind of shit, which we I'm do. not complaining about because I'd rather be like that than just leave the fucking door open and some stranger come in and kill us all. Yeah, like I'm I'm weird. And we've got cameras and all that good We have stuff cameras, too. yes. We have all that fun stuff. Because <laughs> and the if world you think is we crazy. Only, and if you think we only have cameras inside, we have them outside and we have them hidden. So good luck trying to find them all. <laughs> and we both have big dogs. So there. <laughs> yeah, my dog wouldn't even let you in the freaking door. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. 
mine is a baby and he would just be like pet me <laughs> oh my dog can hear you walk on the sidewalk and would be at the door your dog's psychotic by the way <laughs> he is he's a very good protector and he he's knows a good too. boy he's a good in boy. fact all i have to do is say um shadow get and he'll go i was like don't say <laughs> it right now he's gonna get something <laughs> that's all i have to do yeah oh, it- oh there's somebody on my sidewalk oh it's midnight get <laughs> yeah no you, if you walk into my house unexpected and Jax is in the room and sees you he's gonna walk over like with his entire ass just wagging <laughs> and lay down in front of you hoping you'll pet him mine is super freaking obnoxious sometimes too because we have two cats and so he doesn't hate cats but he does not like the cats outside like our neighbors have oh yeah yeah, yeah. he our neighbors feed random stray cats and so there's a bunch of them there's like a huge stray cat problem in your city i've heard like it drives me you've talked about it mom's talked about it i've even seen like because i follow your town's facebook page i've even seen like things about it on there like it's a huge problem apparently it it drives me insane but my dog has literally woke us up at like three o'clock in the morning because one of the cats (laughs) oh (laughs) speaking of him hey shadow And you want to know why he's barking? Because our entryway door is closed between the entryway and the living room. Mm-hmm. And clearly somebody just either walked outside or went, came inside. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not happy. He's growling, like deep growling right now. <laughs> oh, I can't hear him. I can't hear him. So yeah, break into our houses, bitch. No. <laughs> but yes, no, that's terrifying. So she was just in the safety of her own home. Fucking weasley ass nasty motherfucker just breaks mm-hmm. in and, yeah Mm-mm. so the case didn't go to trial until 1996 after 10 weeks in the courtroom the jury found davis guilty on 10 counts including robbery kidnapping burglary murder and attempting to commit a lewd act on a child That's so, mm. so davis like continued to deny the last charge all throughout how the gonna, trial how are you gonna sit here and deny it i <laughs> can not anything you like literally just told them everything <laughs> after his conviction this motherfucker i'm gonna post a picture of it yeah i want to see they're like this is you've been found guilty of all this he flipped off the entire courtroom classic bro, you can bro you can be mad all you want <laughs> right you did this later at his formal sentencing this bitch bitch ass bitch read a statement He had written literally just taunting Polly's father. He said that just before he killed Polly, her last words were just don't do me like my dad. Insinuating that her father had been like sexually abusing her. Oh, what a fucking piece of shit. What a fucking piece of garbage. So this accusation had never been made before. Her father has always been described as a loving father to Polly by everyone that knew them, including his ex-wife polly's mother eve so not only had this coward abducted and murdered their child he was now taunting them and throwing out ridiculous lies trying to make it all go back on him now right stating that her father who loved her so much and searched tirelessly for months had been sexually abusing her god i would fucking kill him i would fucking kill him so when davis read the statement polly's father lunged at him in the courtroom and he had to be removed from the courtroom The judge then sentenced Davis to death by lethal injection, 
saying that normally it's difficult to give someone a death sentence, but Davis had made this quite a very easy decision for him. He remains on death row at San Quentin Prison after surviving a drug overdose and multiple attacks from other prisoners over the year. He's a fucking cockroach. He won't die. So to end on a lighter note and not focus just on this asswipe, I'm going to tell you about Polly's legacy. So Polly was finally put to rest. She was cremated and her ashes were spread over the Pacific Ocean by her friends and family. Her father, Mark, became a child advocate and established the Class Kids Foundation, which is a foundation dedicated to finding missing children. And he has made himself available to parents of kidnapped children across the nation. Five years after Polly's murder, a performing arts center was named in her honor in Petaluma. So Polly, growing up, she loved theater and performing arts. And like, I saw several accounts from like classmates and teachers talking about how talented she was and how she was like a literal shining star on stage. They were like, she was just amazing. Sadly, the theater closed in 2000 due to lack of funding. But in May of 2021, they posted that a renovation of the building was said to be expected to be completed close to the end of this year and they were planning on opening it back up so good um if anybody wants to you can donate to this cause if you go to polyclass.org there's also a ton of resources on this website for missing children parents of missing children that's doing something weird (laughs) it's telling me it's thirsty okay (laughs) there's also a ton of resources on the site for missing children parents of missing children info on safety like child safety kits social media safety like just all kinds of cool info like that right and then lastly here's a little fun factoid so remember how the apb for polly's kidnapping was put on just that one channel yeah the the deputies were on the other channel so after polly's case the california highway patrol changed this practice and upgraded the radio system so now all such bulletins are broadcasted on all police channels throughout a centralized 911 dispatch system. Oh, so now that's not going to happen again. Good. So it's a crazy, super bummer that that happened to her. Like that's just like the wrong circumstances that just happened. It but it did lead to it's not going to happen to anybody else. So some some good things came from this horrible, horrible, awful thing. So. That is the super bumming, heartbreaking case of the kidnapping and murder of Polly Quest. So sad. So freaking sad. And that's that on that. All right. Well, you guys know the drill. Follow us on all the stuff. (laughs) I heard a weird sound in my headphones. No, you you heard my dryer beeping. Oh, I was like, what the fuck is that? All the noises in my house tonight. There's okay. So many noises happening. There's kids running, there's dogs barking, there's dryers beeping. It's just just a bustling house you're in. Soon there's gonna be a pizza man showing up. Uh, that was not who was oh, here. Oh, fun fact. I just learned in my town, rumor has it, we're gonna get a pizza place that delivers. Nobody delivers to my house. Oh, really? The entire time my children have existed in this world, they've never encountered delivery ever. That's so weird. Because we live so far out and it's not even that far out from places, but they don't deliver here. So excited about that. So yeah, back to the food talk. All right. right. So let's let's be awkward. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking somebody entered your room, a small child. Somebody entered my room. Let's be awkward. <laughs> Let's be awkward. Okay. okay bye. Bye. bye.